Corruption Watch brings you the Sectorial Report. Picture this. You're a woman living with the constant threat of violence from an abusive partner. It's been going on for a long time. You feel constantly traumatized and have tried everything, pleading with your partner to control his anger, to seek help, asking family members to intervene, talking to counselors and community leaders to provide support. And yes, you have found the address of a shelter in case you have to make a quick getaway. But the fear of what he might do to you is real, so you stay. Last night was a tipping point. Things spiraled out of control. You were so afraid for your life. Your cuts and bruises so severe that you felt your only hope was to go to the nearest police station to report the crime. Here at the police station, the police officer on duty is grilling you as if he believes that you've made this up. There's no woman present, although you have asked for a female officer to be in the room. Not only that, he knows your partner. They were school buddies together. When you show him your face, your arms, the bruises and evidence of physical violence, even then he seems to doubt your word, asking inappropriate questions. Are you sure this is Johnny? This doesn't seem like him. Maybe you've been cheating on him. He tells you you will have to keep you in a holding cell because your abuser has filed a case opposing yours. Then he asks to see the other marks on your body, just to be sure. You know that I can authorize a body search. No one can stop me. You can't stop shaking and crying. This line of questioning feels unsafe. It feels like abuse, just like at home. But this is the police. You're meant to feel safe and protected, that someone is in your corner, to reassure you that they will go and arrest your partner, issue a restraining order, give you the help that you need. Instead, the nightmare of abuse continues, 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 continues. We live in a country where safety is a relative term. Depends on who you are, who you know, your socioeconomic status, who you interact with. But when you speak to people on the street and ask them about how safe they feel or whether they feel safe, they're likely to tell you no. But what about the police? Isn't that what they are there for? To protect everyone? Sadly, the expectation is low. We often wonder whether the South African police service, SAPS, is really able to protect everyone regardless of their class, race, gender or sex. I am Melusi Ngala, researcher at Corruption Watch and with me today I've got my colleagues Sabia and Mzwandile. We will be discussing the sectoral report, Corruption in Uniform. Since 2012, Corruption Watch has received over 1,440 reports of corruption which highlight abuse of power, bribery and dereliction of duty within the South African Police Service. We will be looking at what comes from this report and we will be getting some insight from Mzwa and Sabia. Hi Saps. Hi, thank you for having me Melusi. Hi Mzwa. Hey Melusi, how are you? So guys, just to familiarize ourselves with what's happening here. Um, we're looking at the police as a sector and understanding the corruption that's unfolding there. Why do you guys think this is so? Um, so? So, of course, when we look at the challenges within the SAPS today, we have to bear in mind that there are challenges and institutional challenges from the role that the apartheid police force had to play, the elements of um, links with the underworld, 
the the rogue units that are now um, happening within the SAPS, the patronage that is so very much endemic within the SAPS, are one of the uh, some of the things that are elements to this corruption that we are seeing in the police force. So, uh, Sabs, would you agree with that? Is this a relevant issue that we need to shine the spotlight on? I definitely think so. When you think about the levels of crime that we have in this country, fighting corruption within the police force is essential. And it's something you can also think about from an economic perspective. With high rates of crime, it means that policing services are in demand. And where things are in demand and there's a smaller supply, money can be exchanged for these services to take place. So not only are we looking at economic factors, but it also affects our social welfare, does it not? Definitely. I mean, inequality in South Africa is, you know, one of the highest in the world. And where people have access to more resources to, you know, in inverted commas, pay for policing, which should be free, corruption is bound to happen. Let's look at some of these hotspots where corruption is said to manifest. Gauteng um, is at the top. Is that any surprise to you? Gauteng is at the top, but of course there are. Um, I suppose by and large reasons to that the population um, density is one of the issues and secondly the activities within Gauteng are much higher than they would be in any other provinces. There are people who come to Gauteng in, in search of greener pastures. Uh, we know that people come to Gauteng every year um, so that adds to the number of people that are in Gauteng and uh, there is then a huge pressure on, on the SAPS within Gauteng to deliver an issue of resource constraint have always been touted about but sometimes when you put that to the test you find that that argument by and large does not necessarily um, stick in areas like Gauteng. Okay, uh, Sebs, the metros in Gauteng, we're looking at Johannesburg leading followed by city of Tswane, is this testament to the fact that crime and corruption are rampant in the province? I think that can be said, definitely. Just as Mzwa has highlighted, there's a lot of population density in certain areas. I think one other thing to highlight is that a lot of this crime is happening in townships, which are highly populated. I think also we need to just take note of the fact that there are also reasons why we receive more reports from Gauteng or from metros due to access to technology to make these reports and things like that. So that's just one thing I wanted to highlight. Uh, can we make a similar argument about KZN, which is another area that we received report of corruption? So interestingly, in KZN, you find that 79% of uh, the reports that we have received come from Eteguini municipality, which is the biggest metro in KZN, as you would know. So by and large, you can make that argument uh, to say that we are seeing the sim similar trends in municipalities and metros, I suppose, all across the country. But when you look at the reports that we are receiving from KZN, particularly in Eteguini municipality, have to do with serious abuse of power. This brings me to our next point of discussion, which is the types of corruption. In the introduction to the Corruption in Uniform report, I mentioned that bribery, dereliction of duty and abuse of power, not in that specific order, but are the top three forms of corruption that we see manifesting. Do you have anything to say about that, Sabia? Um, yes, so I think the public can resonate well with the bribery aspect of it. So bribery entails the exchange of money or some other 
benefit for services that should be performed and this can be seen for example when you are stopped by a police officer who threatens to you know give you a fine whether or not you were in the wrongdoing and then you make a plan so to speak and then we have abuse of power where the police use the power of the uniform to mistreat you or mishandle your case and then dereliction of duty is is really something where the where police fail to act essentially yes yes so there's a, a saying i heard in dipslut where in a discussion about domestic violence the women of the community said the police are like mortuary vans they'll only turn up when there's a body despite these reports of abuse having been reported time and time again i'd like us to discuss the perpetrators of these forms of corruption that we're looking at and specifically the election of duty who's generally implicated and why do you think this is a problem severe so our data shows that the highest number of cases involve detectives and investigating officers these stats are in the report detectives and investigating officers come in at 26% and this is very interesting because a lot of the cases we receive of dereliction of duty is where dockets go missing or nothing is happening on the case and one would assume that detectives and investigating officers are the ones responsible for taking cases forward Interestingly, station commanders come out second at 15%, um, which really speaks to the system that works within the police station. So station commanders aren't always the first port of call that uh, a member of the public interacts with, yet they've been implicated at this level in corruption, which speaks to the power that they have within the system. And then we have captains at 12%, constables at 10%, sergeants at 8%, and warrant officers at 8%. Looking at this, we can't be too surprised why abuse of power is one of the top forms of corruption then, Mzoa, can we? No, we can't. Um, we can't. Abuse of power is so much dynamic within the SAPS that it's very hard for you to even ignore it. In Alex, for example, during the community engagement that we held, we were told of a station commander, a previous station commander, who was so frustrated deliberately by some of her colleagues who were abusing their power so much that her role in the service seemed very much, I suppose, of a useless note that she even tendered her resignation. Uh, Sabs, do you think these forms of corruption and perhaps specifically abuse of power is based on people's race or socioeconomic status or gender perhaps? Well, uh, socioeconomic status gives people power to some extent. Power to compel the police to act in their favour. Another element that's quite interesting is that South Africa has high rates of violence against women and children. It's a critical issue in our country. With only recent steps taken towards not just addressing it, but also recognizing that it exists. And this is something that definitely reflects in the community engagements we've held with the community in Manenberg in particular, where the abuse of power of the police led to them even sexually abusing female members of the public. This, no doubt, is quite a grim picture that we are seeing from this report. And to any listener out there that might be thinking to themselves, what can we do about this? So what are we doing as Corruption Watch? And what can be done to curb corruption or even stem the flow of corruption? Currently, what we have been able to do was we have been able to strike very well working collaborations with the newly established internal anti-corruption unit of the SAPS where we have been able to take some of the reports that have been reported to us to them for further investigation and so far we have been getting positive updates on those particular matters. We are currently building relationships also with um, 
civilian secretariat of police um, as I had earlier mentioned in the community engagement that we held in Alex they were part of the engagement and the engagement was very fruitful to a point that there were commitments that were made on their part which stems particularly on their mandate Sabs, uh, from your perspective what should we be looking at as society we've got serious issues here that we're looking at Corruption is clearly a problem, crime is a problem, and surely there's more that we can do in terms of mobilization and advocacy. So as Corruption Watch, I think we're beginning to develop some public information materials that I think will be part of the sectoral report to advise people on what their rights are when encountering the police. So public mobilization is very important. People need to sort of band together and, you know, begin to ask their police stations why aren't you doing certain things? How can we assist you if you need that assistance? We have um, community policing forums that exist to deal with certain issues that, that uh, are facing police stations. But it's also really a duty of the public to recognize corruption where it exists and to start saying no. Yeah, I think it's quite important for us to remain vigilant as society, as you mentioned, Sebs, and to question Cautiously, of course, in some instances, we can't necessarily expect a woman who's perhaps traveling alone during nighttime and being stopped by a group of police for her to simply just say, I will not do this or why are you doing this? Perhaps the best thing to do under those circumstances is to find yourself the nearest police station and report that crime. Definitely. And speaking of reporting, there are other avenues to report things after the fact um, and other bodies that can assist you after that. So, for example, you can report to the station commander if you feel that someone has uh, abused their power and there is, you know, the IPID, Independent Police Investigative Directorate, who are mandated to deal with all of these issues. Alternatively, people can also come to Corruption Watch. You can use any of our channels. You can visit our offices on 87 De Corte Street in Bramfontein. Or you can call 0800-023-456. It's a toll-free number. We also encourage people to send messages via WhatsApp or text message. On 072-013-5569. You can also visit our website at www.corruptionwatch.org.za That's www.corruptionwatch.org.za You can report corruption here and also view some of our latest work. Thank you Sabia and thank you Mzwa. I think there's definitely a lot of work to be done. This is an opportunity for us to actually reflect as society, to think about our institutions and to identify and understand the problems, but also to look forward, to think to ourselves, what can we do to make it better? What can we do for our police to serve us instead of serving the elite or themselves?